Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier. Stephen Chicken here, joined as usual by Dave Reed. Dave Reed. Dave Reed Hartrick. Hello, Dave Reed. How are you? <laughs> I know well. how you are, in fact. You're very, very pleased with yourself because you've just sent me a picture that you've drawn. Yeah, and uh, you can imagine what it is. It's got the and traditional... I'm not, I'm not, in fact, don't say what it was, Steve, and I will tweet it. Okay, sounds good. So check out at David Hartrick and you can see the uh, exciting drawing that I shared with Dave just as we came on air. Um, we've got two games to talk about, but I think we'll probably talk about one more than the other because Norwich was a very long time ago now. Uh, we said after that game that we'd play it by ear and see, or sorry, before that game, that we'd play it by ear and see which, which date we'd pick for the podcast. And then the Coventry game got called off, and by that point it was a bit too late to to do the Norwich one and we just thought well let's just wait until after West Brom which is what we've done but I mean just quickly on Norwich Dave it was you know disappointing to go down 2-0 again so quickly which has been a bit of an issue this season didn't didn't rear its head again against West Brom quite the opposite in fact uh, but a difficult game to analyse because of the red card so early in the second half. Um, but Pat Jones, the big positive from that game. Nice to see him come through mm. and make an impression. Yeah, we've spoke about Pat Jones before and we've we've bigged him up and we've said the one thing he's lacking is a bit of physicality, but he looks like he's gaining that. The, 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 that goal was, we've talked quite a lot about him, but had to slightly talk in the abstract because nobody else has really seen him. That goal is basically everything he's about which is just taking a man on running really fast and taking a shot early isn't it yeah exactly he's a really really good finisher and that was actually his weaker foot as well his left foot uh yeah i mean a difficult game it was bound to beat an elsonani that that made the impact but i think you and i dave were both of a mind which was it's difficult to judge town on losing 2-1 away to Norwich City with 10 men, isn't it? I mean, it's it's going to be a lot of clubs that go go to that ground and don't come away with any points. Yeah, that's that's about the size of it, really, because I, I thought... I'll tell you what, if we are going to do an analysis, this is my analysis, I thought it was like so many town games this season in that it felt like it took them half an hour or more to switch on, and then when they did, they did okay, they fought back a little bit, they look a bit more organised, even after the red card, I would say. But mm. again, it's another one of those games where you're 2-0 down. <laughs> and as we've said, you know, when they rallied against Birmingham when, and when they rallied before, how how much credit are we supposed to give as analysts to a team rallying when they're 2-0 down? And ten men down to 10 men as well. 
really. Because yeah. um, it was, yeah, I mean, they, they started, it was weird that game because they just, they hadn't done anything up until sort of 35 minutes and then suddenly they just seemed to flick a switch and go, oh wait, we can actually, we can actually play here. And then they were just absolutely mm. fine. They had a little spell, everything was going through Dwayne Holmes in that spell and they just suddenly started playing and it's a shame they had that red card, as I say, Pat Jones came on 15 minutes ago, I thought made a really good impression. He was ill uh, for the West Brom game, which I, I think was a shame. I, I joked to you earlier, I think I'm going to change my player ratings template to just include Pat Jones for Angerin 60 every game, because it feels like that's what we're going to get from now on. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's, it is a bit, that, that game sort of continued that pattern of, of early goals conceded and only starting to play once it was too late. West Brom very much the opposite. They were 2-0 up against West Brom, two excellent goals by Tino Andrin, and yet even at 2-0 up after half an hour, I think you and I were both thinking this isn't going to be enough. And by the time we got to half-time, we were <laughs> more down on the performance than positive, despite them having a 2-1 lead mm. at that point. They've got a big midfield issue, which is what we really we will get into. But it, it's another game where that has cost them. Um, and there's a lot of positives we can take from it. And I, I want to talk about a couple of things off the pitch as well. Um, but... Yeah, we. it's a fabulous point, Steve. Let's make that clear. West Brom are a really good side. Mm. I had them. There's another Huddersfield Town podcast out there. I know, right? Um, and we've in their prediction league, and I have West Brom third in my table behind Burnley and Watford. I think they're going to be really good. So it's, in many ways, it's a great point. But they were too passive again. The midfield was just a great big gap and it's costing them at both ends of the pitch that midfield at the moment but we'll we'll get into that yeah it is I agree I think that's sort of and I intentionally started the five conclusions by talking about the fact that they you know they scored two excellent goals they do have game changes it is quite encouraging this season and this isn't I, I feel like last season it was as this is a point you always make it was very controlled to the point of being sterile at times it feels yeah. like there is a bit more um to use one of your favorite words a bit more chaos this time and a bit more bit more x factor you know you, you go through mm. the game by game and it's like well Dwayne Holmes was the x factor uh against Stoke Pat Jones was the x factor against Norwich Tino Andrin in this game against West Brom so they've got sort of a rotating cast of players that can make things happen out of nothing and that great you know they've scored in every game except Burnley and you know that that's you've got to give them credit for that we wanted to see them improving from open play uh and and they have done although the numbers don't really suggest that just yet but we'll get on to that no but it, it's the it's the eye test in the mm, it is there are there are problems and we're going to go into the problems but attacking wise they are definitely taking more risks they are definitely getting more men forward both strikers have scored a couple of goals apiece this season already mm-hmm. haven't they um yeah. and they just you you actually fancy them now to score the problem is at the moment you feel like they've got to get 3 to win yeah. a game that's that's the issue and I feel like attacking-wise, I wouldn't tinker or change much other than potentially look at ways to, to get Jack higher up the pitch. Rudders, Rudy, who you always tease me because I can't say his name. Um, but even before we get into the defence, and I know I, I was looking... I don't always look through social media after games because I think 
you get a lot of emotive reactions. But there was a lot of people who were having a go at the defence. And I thought for a defence that was nowhere near their first string, I thought individually and collectively, I thought they didn't do too badly. For me, it's a midfield failure um, of possession, of space, of protection and of creativity, which, as I said, we'll get into. But yeah, the numbers may not look it attacking wise, but they they are more threatening. They just they are. They're, They're creating better chances and they're scoring more goals. Yeah, the reason that I'm sort of not too worried about the attack despite what the numbers say because they do have Mm. second lowest XG in the division and they have relied on, you know, you're not going to get Tino Andrew doing that every game, etc, etc. But on the other hand, I think a large part of the reason that there's been a decline in their attacking output in in terms of XG, etc, this season is largely because they're having so little of the ball and they're spending so much time defending because they can't they can't they're making for one thing they're making daft errors in possession that is putting them under Mm. pressure and stop it and at the same time obviously you know if you're defending you're not attacking but also you know that they the way that i don't know that they they just don't look at all convincing they just look like they are constantly under pressure and they're the xg that they're conceding is really really high and it's actually getting worse game on game um i think weirdly the norwich game is the only one where it's not sort of been an upward trend and they played half that game with 10 men but they're just you know you look at the possession numbers as well they're well under 50 percent for the majority of their games uh which isn't necessarily a failing but i don't think that is particularly the way they want to play I agree. I think it is mostly a midfield issue rather than anything else. It's so porous. It's so easy to get between the lines. And then you end up with the defence scrambling. And I, I sort of take your point about it being a makeshift back line against West Brom. But even then, I thought they were, they were so easy to throw into to disarray. I think, you know, it is a rotating cast. They did have Tom Lee's absent. They they are after a centre-back side, and we know because of Matty Pearson's injury. I think when I actually wrote a piece about the defensive numbers last week, and I'd sort of forgotten just how good and how important Matty Pearson was to that side last season. I think because he spent the last couple of months of the season injured, I think we'd sort of, or at least I had, started to take him for granted. And I saw his numbers, and it's like, oh, actually, yeah, he was huge for this side. So I can understand why they want to replace him. But even still, I thought some of the defending from the back line against West Brom was quite poor. I thought Utah Nakayama in particular was sort of running around the box chasing the ball like a six-year-old at times and, and did so on both of the two goals. But, you know, you want to... To be fair, as you say, the issue starts midfield and if you keep allowing your back line to be put under pressure like that, then you're eventually going to... The opposition are going to force errors like that. Yeah. For me, last season, one of their core strengths was you had a player like Tom Lees who we praise to the high heavens on this podcast because we called him a clean shorts defender. We pointed out that his anticipation was so good. But when you look at that and you analyse that, a lot of that is because he knows there's always an action before the ball gets to him because the midfield cover was mm-hmm. aggressive, tenacious and deep. So it was it was there. So the thing is, as a defender, that's exactly what you want. Now he... Tom Lees has struggled a bit personally this season because he's had to commit early several times. And that's 
not what he's been used to. He's been used to, as I say, being able to take a sort of helicopter view of the situation and decide exactly when he's going to come into come into play. And at the moment, they can't do that. And that is is because in the centre of the pitch, they're just Towns' midfield at the moment is just not working for me. It's it's not providing enough cover for the back three or four, depending on how they play. It's not create, creating enough for the forward players. And the, the key thing is they're just seeding so much possession because there's just so much space in there, Steve. There is so much space in that midfield that, like yesterday, West Brom, basically for an hour, are just have got the ball at will. Yeah, I, I, I'm slightly sympathetic in terms of the personnel that was available yesterday because Jonathan Hogg was was injured uh, and as we've mentioned Tom Lee suspended for his red card he served his one match suspension uh, so centre back you, you're limited there and central midfield I think unless you were going to drop in I know you wanted Dwayne Holmes in there didn't you Dave unless you were going to drop in Dwayne Holmes or even move Tino Andrian in there or you were going to start Etienne Kamara it really was John Russell um, who Danny Schofield said he thought had an excellent game in midfield I'm not sure that was exactly what the the feeling was in the press box I think we all thought he was he was pretty poor again to be honest he's not had a good start to the season but I think you know we talked at the start of the season about the 4-4-2 and how uncomfortable they looked and how it exposed all their weaknesses and, and we stand by that and the switch to the 3-4-3 did seem to make them a lot more comfortable and to be fair town have been nothing like as bad over the past sort of three games as they were over the first three games of the season some of the, some of those issues have gone but we we the the one ish, big issue that still remains is as you say it's so easy to get in between the lines to find space in between the lines and as soon as teams do get through the town midfield which they do frequently it leaves them absolutely scrambling it leaves the back five so exposed and it just feels like they need an extra man between the lines there, or possibly even mm. two men. So whether you go three five two, four three three, or sort of a three five two, um, or even a four two three one, where you have either one or two players whose job is just right, stay there, be a defensive midfielder, mm. keep things tight. You know, I think longer term, Hog and Kasumu would be ideal for that for the time being I think Hulk and Kamara probably look like your best pairing for, mm. for that job but or, or possibly just even Hog on his own and you just say right very simple job you're screening between the lines but something needs to change because it, it just isn't working at the moment it's so easy to get through them I, I just think the problem with John Russell is I know like my criticism of John Russell has never really changed from the moment he came into the first team, and that is that he's just too slow. The problem is he overcomes that by being really good on the ball, and at the moment he's not giving you enough on the ball. That's yeah. the issue. So when he's not giving you enough on the ball and he's slow, he's just at the moment, if you're an opposition manager, you either stick a runner on him or you put a 10 behind him. And then that's him. That's that's him gone out of the game. He's got to leave a massive space, basically. And like, I I just think it needs some energy and aggression in front of that that back three or back four, depending how you choose to play it. Hoggy's absence is massive because he's the one who transitions into the middle of the the two to make it a three, and that that. Yeah. That is sort of so familiar to Towns defenders that they do it. It's it's muscle memory at this point. 
but they can't keep just giving up the midfield in every game. And they played against West Brom. They literally, they're aware of their sort of deficiencies because they literally set up as the away team, didn't they? They literally set up to, to catch them on the counter. And yeah, you know, like, We'll get onto the good stuff in a minute, but it, it's just such a such a, a glaring issue that uh, I it's the thing they've got to sort before you can criticise or look at anything else. I think because it does affect how the defence works and how the defence sets up. It does affect how the attack works. It's it's just pivotal, and at the moment, it's just not working. Yeah, and I think when you do analyse it, you know, the headline things, and again, <laughs> need to keep in sight, they did get a two-all draw against a very good team, and I think there are caveats to be made in that when you look at who Town have actually played, and you look at the underlying data, you look at everyone's league positions, etc., West Brom have got the highest XG of anyone in the division, um, Norwich are high up on that list, Burnley are high up on that list, Stoke are a top-half team on that front, the only team that Town have played in the league that haven't had that you know that that don't look dangerous in front of goal uh a Birmingham City who also beat them and it, it's difficult to really make a case for Huddersfield Town at the moment because they you know expected goal difference their second bottom in the league minus 5.2 again the only team that's worse is Birmingham and Birmingham beat them you know they've got the fourth lowest expected goals against they've got the second lowest expected goals for this is you know if they carry on like this it's not just the league table that has them second bottom it's the underlying numbers have them second bottom I think there are I'm not saying that town are in a relegation fight in saying that because I think you need to bear in mind the first two games of the season was playing a different system that Schofield then realized wasn't working and has changed it he then got a win and unfortunately he's he's then played against two of the better teams in this division in all likelihood come the end of the season and certainly two of the best attacking teams in this division um, uh, both so far and again come the end of the season so it's is it's hard to sort of gauge how bad the defensive issues are but we can only judge it on what they've done so far and it's obvious from both the eye test and looking at the numbers that it is a big issue for them at the moment and it's hard to see them moving forward and we are going to try and move on to the positives here so it's not all doom and gloom because again two all draw it's not all doom and gloom but we need to see over the next few weeks we need to see those numbers changing and we need to see the needle moving and town becoming a a functional side again unfortunately bristol city are another very high scoring side um they're a strange team their three all draw at the weekend i think is pretty much sums up their entire season they're the anti-preston who still have a, a one goal scored and zero goals against in their goal difference column this season but bristol city are just you know that they could (laughs) they sort of can win 3-0 or lose 3-0 or draw 3-3 and anywhere in between they're they're one of those sides so maybe not the in some ways not the ideal side for town to be playing next when they're having these defensive issues on the other hand if they can go to, to to Bristol and 
and you know and keep a clean sheet there keep the first clean sheet of the season there then it tells us something but my sort of feeling on this is we've been quite kind to town because they've had absences because they've had the change of coach because they've had upheaval because they've had new players to integrate because they've had to change the formation etc etc but I think we're reaching the end of the transfer window now and I feel like we can maybe give them a little bit more grace for the Bristol City game depending how things go but we really have to say the adjustment period is over once the transfer window is shut don't we oh yeah absolutely i i think like we we have the criticisms we've had are have been consistent at this point as well this this is the issue so yeah we have criticized the midfield from the burnley game at some point you have to see some movement some improvement um and i think a big part of it is at the moment they are switching from one type of training to another and they are picking up a few knocks and injuries etc which is mm-hmm. inevitable i think they have suffered a little bit with with some absences but it doesn't feel like at the moment Danny Schofield knows what his best formation is that's the thing i'm not even talking about what his best 11 is to put out but i still feel I still feel he's not 100% sure exactly how he wants to set his team out because he wants if you were to say to me what is the default formation at the moment I'd say well it's probably the 3-4-3 but it's very imperfect and it's clearly got a big issue in midfield so that's not quite working either it's not the 4-1-4-1 stroke 4-4-2 that has already been tried twice and it, it just hasn't worked it's I don't know I think there's an issue there that he he's got to find he's got to find his sort of what he's going to train them in as a default from from session to session hasn't he yeah and I think that's an issue because I think they've, they've probably spent a lot of the summer you know he said that we they've worked on multiple shapes throughout the summer in several different shapes but the one that we saw a lot in the friendlies was the the sort of the four one four one four four two that that you describe um and that immediately got and rightly got ditched because it, it didn't work and it's very difficult to make up that time once the season's begun um because you, you just don't get the time between games yeah. and this season of all seasons where you know you look at the the fixture list in September going up to that international break and it, it's pretty relentless so they do need to to suss it out sooner rather than later and you know again we don't want to sit here and be all doom and gloom after a draw against a good team but it's it's the overall trend and and we try to be sort of as generous as we can uh and and talk about the positives which as I say we will get on to but I think it's pretty unmistakable at the moment that that things are, are not looking terribly well yet I think you and I have both seen enough positives in this team to think that if they can find a formation that suits them a style that suits them and by that we mean a style and a formation that suits them defensively above all else and helps them cut out the stupid mistakes and helps them stop being quite so easy to play through and play behind there is a good team there there's there's good players in there and Tino Andrian was just the latest one to show that wasn't he yeah yeah and what what was sort of interesting was it felt like there was um quite a concerted effort to get Tino on the ball first half you could see players players looking for him and I thought 
I, I think the thing with Tino is that he blows hot and cold, and I think that's uh, very symptomatic of his career to date because he's had a lot of interruptions with injuries and various other things. When he's hot, he's superb, absolutely superb, and I think the way to get him there is by doing what Town did yesterday, which is look for him at every opportunity. You know, they win the corner because he goes on a mad run where he just literally runs past three people into the area. Uh, he gets the short corner, and Sorby, you could see it on the highlights, he's screaming at him, hit it, hit it, hit it, because they know he's got it in him. They know exactly what his class is, and... Yeah, you know that uh, you described him yesterday as a cheat code, and if they can put the other pieces in the right place behind him, then it gives you a lot of hope going forward. And it's not just him either. I thought Sorber Thomas had his best game of the season against West Brom, and I think looking at the comments and looking at the ratings, I think there's a few fans who sort of have decided Sorber Thomas on the left doesn't work, and are sort of making their judgment based on that. But I wrote a piece. I was actually writing when I was looking for the defensive stats, I wasn't looking to do a piece on Sorba Thomas saying he was out of form, but then I incidentally saw some of his numbers when I was digging into the defensive numbers, looked at his attacking output, and it was like, wow, like his dribbling stats, his crossing stats, his completion rate on corners are all sort of a half or two-thirds what they were last season. And here in this game, he was back up to the, the standards. He was, you know, his cross, cross completion rate was double what, what it had been. Um, at the start of the season, I thought his corner deliveries looked much more dangerous, which makes it a little bit ironic that it was the short corner routine that actually produced the goal. But he was full of running, full of energy. I think probably having that, that 10 days off and it probably helped him because he did look a bit not physically tired but a bit mentally tired for me um coming into the season which is understandable because when i actually ran the numbers on the number of minutes he played last season i think it represented something like 41 percent of all the minutes he's ever played in his career who came since yeah. uh beginning of august last season uh and that's playing in the championship and international football rather than national league football like he was used to so you can understand mm. it if he was a bit mentally fried but I thought he looked really fresh against West Brom yeah when he plays over that side he it's it's a very unselfish role it's it's one of those I think he's going to be doomed to sort of (laughs) he's always going to be doomed to criticism because there's going to be a lot of fans who think unless you're on the ball you're not contributing and the thing is the way he's creating space and the way he's pulling players like he takes two defenders with him when he comes inside and leaves a big gap down the outside Josh Ruffles to run into when he comes wide he often pulls a player over leaving a bit of space for Danny Ward in the middle and in particular a space for a midfielder to run into which Town aren't doing enough at the moment but there's there's a way they could profit I think longer term and I think it yeah I thought yesterday we we both came away thinking he did a really solid job don't get us wrong we're not saying it was a 10 out of 10 spectacular performance but it was just a really solid job of a player you know sort of playing for the whole front three instead of just for himself and I think when you've got Tino on the other side who you sort of want to give the ball and just let him do what he wants I think you need somebody on the other side who is a little bit more selfless and who is working a little bit more as a facilitator. Because, like you saw with the second goal, the the whole point is just give Tino the ball. (laughs) Just let him have the ball. Because 
he's just a very confident young man and he will he will take any sort of situation on so i i felt a bit for danny ward yesterday it felt like uh bad corbin for ward yesterday yeah. which is where he's slaving away in the middle and nobody's within 20 yards of him i think he had 20 touches yesterday before before he went off and it was a tough game for him and it's not it's not been like that this season for him. He's 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 had a playmate a lot of the time. He's had somebody getting a lot closer to him than they did yesterday, and I, I yeah I felt for him. I felt for him because it was a it was a bit of a thankless task for a lot of that game yesterday for Wardy. George Best had a few playmates, didn't he? Um, but yeah, um, and I think the reason the main reason that they've put. You know, you could say, well, why don't you just give Andrin the free roll from the left and move Silver back to the right? But the reason is kane kester hayden isn't it because they've got him on that side and he can basically run that whole wing by himself he's i think the way that he operates as a wing back is very very similar to the way that sorba thomas played it last year and you don't want to have two of the same player on on that side it makes much more sense to it you know it's ideal yes in an ideal world sorba thomas plays on the right wing but it's for the good of the team. I think it is a better balance to have to take to Kessladen. Right, that's your wing. You just run that. Uh, that then allows Tino to come inside and go wherever he wants. And and you've got Sorba playing as the out and out winger on the left, where Josh Ruffles is not as capable of doing that job. Whether that might change, you know, if 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 and when Yutanakiyama moves out to left wing back or. You know, if Josh Ruffles starts to find his feet, and I, I thought, do you know what? I really worried for for Josh Ruffles going into that West Brom game, um, him against Jed Wallace, and I don't think he was brilliant. Ruffles, I think sort of the middle half hour of the game, I think he got a little bit rattled, but I thought he started and finished the game quite strongly, actually, Josh Ruffles. So, um, a l- little bit of credit for him there, but um, yeah, that they've they've got. A lot of the pieces you mentioned, Danny Ward going off there. By the way, strange substitution that one, taking him off for Netty and Kamara coming on. They they sort of they switched to was it a four four two? Did it look like um, almost yeah, well, a four four one one? I think it was like a four one four one really, with sort of Sorber as the one up top trying to stretch and run, and and John Russell sort of dropped into the midfield between the lines, but it it. It, they very very quickly changed it because it just wasn't making any yeah. actual ten, min- ten minutes later any difference. Yeah, ten, ten minutes later they reverted it. They 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 put Jordan Rhodes back on and moved Thomas back out to that. I thought that was a, a strange bit of bit of business. Um, that yeah, and uh, when Rhodes came on as well, they suddenly they looked a bit more threatening again because they had a striker yeah. on the pitch. I think Sorber's a lot of things, but he's not <laughs> he's not a lone striker and. Yeah, it was a strange bit of business, and I was, I was slightly concerned by the subs yesterday, and I, I may as well put this on record because we have had this chat off air. I, I just, I didn't see the through line between them where you go, okay, well that's the plan because they're going to change the shape, and what they're looking to do is sort of evolve the play down the right side or something like that. It felt very reactive and not in a not in a good way. Um, it felt. We we are assuming, and I think we're probably right to assume that Tino at the moment he just can't do more than an hour because yeah, Danny's going to he said as much after yeah. the presser uh, in the presser yeah. yeah. So I think you have to have a little bit more than 
just bring on a Tino replacement. I think you have to sort of adjust your shape and adjust your role because you're almost giving Tino a free role. So when that goes off the pitch, you have to have a different plan. And I just, I just didn't see the connective tissue through the substitutes yesterday. And that, to me, is a little bit of an issue because... Like, you know, Carlos Corbran was very good at certain things. I I was not as high on him as some, but the one thing you could never fault him for is that he had a plan A, he had an, a plan A.5, and then he had a plan B and a plan B.5. <laughs> and he would have a plan C, but you would never really see it because one of the first four would do something. And it, it just didn't feel like that yesterday. It just felt all... Okay, uh, what do we try now? And I, I was, I was slightly, yeah, like you say, the first sub was a funny bit of business, and reverting it back was uh, sort of symptomatic of a little bit of a lack of, of maybe a lack of sort of a, a, a thought out plan for the eleven, rather than just bringing one man on and what that one man brings to the team. Yeah, I think th- there's two ways of looking at it. One is sort of more generous to Danny Schofield than the other. One is he was just sort of, as you, as you said to me earlier, just vibing it a bit. Um, and, and the other the other more generous way of looking at it is maybe he just doesn't have the tools he thinks he needs. You know, maybe he felt they just needed a different type of striker on the pitch and wanted to give it a go. Um, and Ward for Rhodes, you know, as much as they're both in form and we've had a lot of praise for both of them, they are quite like for like at this point in the way that they play because Rhodes has developed his his game off the ball and you know they're slightly different. There is differences between them, but I think they're still fairly similar. Uh, you know, it's as compared to having you know say a Tyree Simpson who is you know a powerhouse and he's gonna you know disrupt and he's a bit more raw. He's a bit more of an unknown quantity, um, and you know he's a player that they're hoping to get signed. I think uh, people probably saw the. The little accident the the club had on their their YouTube on on Friday evening. Uh, these things happen. Um, deal not done just yet until it's official, obviously. But um, yeah, I think it's clear that that's moving in the right direction. So hopefully that gets over the line. Hmm. Um, the you know once you maybe he wanted a, a different kind of player and then he tried to switch it, went to Silver Thomas and then went. Oh no, actually this is if anything made it worse. Let's go back to Plan A, which. I sort of get, um, but you would hope that in future games, that as you say, they have a clearer idea of of what they're going to do. I suspect that Pat Jones will feature quite highly on that plan B, as I sort of alluded to earlier as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But John Rhodes, Conor Mahoney, Will Boyle, Dwayne Holmes, Etienne Kamara and Ben Jackson, even with the injuries, that's a strong bench you know that's that's it's not bad at all comparatively speaking to some Huddersfield town benches we've seen not necessarily last year but certainly the year before and the year before that they they are in a good place squad wise and you do just wonder if they went with the right options I think you're right I think I think it was interesting that Pat Jones was being ill was on the the actual tweet which shows he's very much in the first team plans now um and I think that's a good thing but yeah I I just think they've got to use the options better um because I mean West Brom's bench yesterday it it was absolutely rotten you know (laughs) it Mm. was rotten there Callum Robinson who's a very good player Jake Livermore who's okay Mm. but does a certain thing and that was about it you know there there was well there was an opportunity there 
Their second string lost one nil to Derby in the cup in midweek. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there there was an opportunity there to to go at them for that last half an hour, but uh, yeah, you know, as I said, we are trying to take a few positives, and like you said, I thought Ruffles Ruffles looked better. I thought Sorbel was good. Tino really really good Lee Nichols again I think we have to talk yeah. about because particularly the first of the two saves first half the the one on one with his feet I, yeah was I just thought was excellent so so good and I just I mean you talk about Tino being a cheat code Lee Nichols still feels mm. like a massive cheat code to me yeah yeah big time he's uh, such a reliable goalkeeper and uh, yeah we should also say as well Obviously, Town got away with one massively with that penalty decision or, or non-penalty decision. That I mean, that was the most every every like the town fans around me all just laughed because they were they they couldn't believe that that wasn't given, and they all sort of we we were watching the screens and I was you know I looked and. I just turned around there like, was it? It's like, yeah, 100% a penalty. Even Danny Schofield joked about it in his presser afterwards. You know, I, we, we... I, I was, right, here's the thing, right? I genuinely thought, and I said it to you in the press room, I thought he might have got a sliver of the ball, but he definitely took all of the man. So I wasn't saying yeah, it first wasn't a penalty. As well. But, um, like, genuinely, there was an angle on the, the highlights last night where you can see, I mean, he he, get, he doesn't get a sliver of the ball. He just gets all of the back of Carlin Grant's leg. And, I, I mean, getting away with one doesn't quite cover it for me, Steve, to be, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, it really was, uh, it really was, uh, yeah. But, you know, as you rightly pointed out after the game, Sorba Thomas's penalty at the Hawthorns last year that was given against him for for nothing, for nothing really, you know, karmic balance, etc. <laughs> but they can't. Yeah, yeah, they they did, they well, did get away it. with one. But I, in the thing is, I one of the good things I wanted to point out was when Danny Schofield was in the press conference after we were doing the presser with him. And when we asked him about that, he said, oh, I haven't seen it yet. And like you say, he sort of rolled his eyes and we all laughed about it. But I thought it was really good because I thought it was a symptomatic of a manager who was a bit more relaxed than we've seen mm-hmm. and a bit a bit more easing into the role a little bit because his first couple of press conferences, as, as you know, Steve, were quite static, quite emotion-driven, uh, quite rigid. And... If nothing else, it was good to see him after a game like that be able to relax a little bit because um, that's important if he is going to be successful going forward. I think. Yeah, growing into growing into the role on on that side for sure. You know, he's he's. I think he would admit himself he didn't didn't relish doing media duties at the start of the season, particularly no. before he got that first win. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we both like him on a on a personal level, it's it's important to say, but we need to sort of put that aside, don't we, on our, when we're talking about the, the job that he's doing and, uh, and the performances that Town are putting in. Um, speaking of Huddersfield Town managers, there was a former Town boss there, and I'm not talking about Steve Bruce. Uh, David Wagner was in the stands and even came out onto the pitch at halftime to give everyone a bit of a wave. Uh, and uh, funnily enough, that's led to a little bit of, of speculation among the fans. Who do who do foresee? Mm. I, I I get 
The thing is, the alternative to not announcing he was going to be there was that a load of people clock him in the stand sitting next to Dean Hoyle, and the speculation is mm-hmm. even worse, right? So I completely get announcing he was there, but I think getting him out on the pitch, but then furthermore sort of tweeting the footage and put it on Instagram, yeah. it's just giving a certain section of fans the opportunity to just slate the bloke who's actually doing the job at the moment. Um, and I think that's... I think that's a shame. I think that's a shame. I, I, you know, I would never question David Wagner's place in Huddersfield Town folklore. It's just the timing of it because, as I said, it just it didn't offer an awful lot of protection to the bloke who's, who's actually doing the job right now, did it? Well, I think we can sort of sum it up by what we saw after the game <laughs> when we came out of the press room and uh, Danny had come out just before us uh, to go back to our cars and... Uh, a bunch of kids who had been waiting outside reception went running past to get an autograph from Danny Schofield, and their mum went running after them and shouted, oh, "We'd better not miss David Wagner for this." <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. and then and then afterwards, there was uh, a group of kids. What would they have been about thirteen, fourteen? Um, shouting at, at Chicho, uh, and then saying, "Oh, do you want to work under David Wagner next season?" So. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And not only that, I have had a load of messages today from people saying, it's on David Wagner's coming back to town. And the thing is, like, we don't know what the future holds. And I'm sure if if Danny Schofield walked out at nine o'clock tomorrow morning and said, I've had enough, there is no way I would have thought, with him being out of work, that he wouldn't at least be in the conversation. But right now, that's not the case. Right now, Danny Schofield's not going anywhere. And it just... It it just sort of fueled something it didn't need to to fuel really, and yeah, I just I get it. Don't get me wrong. It's just sort of going really big on the footage and everything. I would just slightly question, as as I said, I don't think it yeah. offered Danny much protection. In truth, I think the, the the slight mitigation is this was a visit that was meant to happen the back end of last season when they were about to, you know, it was to the Bristol. City it was game, their wasn't Friday it? night. No, it was yeah. the wasn't it the Friday night Barnsley game? It was supposed to be there. I think it if was I, originally that, and then it was. Bristol City, and then he couldn't make it to to Bristol either. Um, so he, so it was meant to be when they'd already qualified for the playoffs and were about to go into the playoffs, and things were good, and everyone was behind Carlos. And I think that would have been a better time to do it. So I can understand it, yeah. In, in the respect that they've just had to delay it, and they wanted to get him back at sort of the next opportunity. But yeah, I, d- I do wonder in in hindsight if they might have had a word and said, "Look, David, can you come back maybe in a couple of months once Danny's." got a few wins or under e- his belt yeah or even you know just come and enjoy the day but maybe not do the on-pitch stuff and maybe not then you know share the footage of that either I, mm. I, but it's not for us to say you know I think if if David Wagner's there and you don't say anything about it or don't do anything that's about it then well. you, that's, that's worse. E- you know arguably that's even weirder isn't it yeah <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so yeah um it's just, maybe it's just uh, one of those things yeah it's just the sort of, but it's the social media thing that we both last yeah. night we were sat there looking at the sort of comments on Instagram and the comments on Facebook and Twitter, going, oh, "Did you did you really need to sort of provide the perfect to to give all these people a tap in, <laughs> basically?" But it is what it is. It is what it is. Bristol City on Wednesday, as I say, I've sort of touched on that. They are a strange side. Um, 
it feels like it could be any result, but I, I feel like we've said this going into every game, and this is something I want to touch on as well that has put, pointed out in the conclusions. All of the points that Town have so far this season, all four points they have, you would say there's a lot of luck involved in those four points. The, the Getting the single point against West Brom, definitely, and Stoke was a game that it felt like it could have gone either way. Whether it's a one-all, a nil-nil, a three-all, a three-nil win, whatever... It would be nice for Huddersfield Town to come away from Bristol City feeling like they've got a result that they deserve that isn't a defeat, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, you're right. Bristol City, very weird side, excellent piece of rhyming slang, but you never really know what you're going to get from them. Um, I just, I think the thing is with Bristol City is that, like on their day, they have the capacity to genuinely be really bad. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they, they they will lose more than one game this season by four goals or more. I I would almost guarantee it. So you really, you really do have to try and set up to try and get at them a little bit. You know, like. The slight worry is this midfield issue. They they've got to offer that back three, whatever, however, whatever combination it is. They've got to provide a little bit more cover. They've got a, a little bit. They've got to give some sort of some aggression and some energy in front of that back three, so that they have the confidence then to commit at the right times. So it comes back to the same thing and I know we're labouring a point here but it just comes back to that midfield battle again for me Steve and that mm-hmm. is where the game will be won or won or lost I think yeah the other thing is what music the, the players listen to on their way to to Bristol uh, what would you be recommending it's a weird recommendation <laughs> and I'm well aware it's a weird recommendation but Having watched the greatest remix of all time, which is Top Gun Maverick, which is just an incredible way to spend 95 minutes, it's just so much fun, it's untrue, and it never stops, and it knows exactly what it is, and it's just a great film. Uh, I've ended up listening to the Top Gun Maverick soundtrack a lot, which is ironic, because I spent a hell of a lot of time listening to the original Top Gun (laughs) soundtrack. So, Top Gun Maverick, get yourself a little bit fired up. There you go, that's Dave's recommendation. Uh, I've been listening to Nova Twins' new album, and it's only, it's very short and sweet, it's only half an hour long, but it's, it's called Supernova. It's like, if you liked uh death from above then you you the band not the song that references death from above uh then you would probably quite like nova twins there you go that's, oh that's my one go on i tell you i tell you something else i've been listening to actually in fact i'm just going to leave a pause because i'm going to see if it's on spotify because i've actually had my some of my cds out just give Ooh. us a sec all right granddad <laughs> and it is all right after hammering the prodigy for about a fortnight I ended up going back and listening to the Dirt Chamber sessions a hell of a lot over the last week, which is a mix that Liam Howlett put together, which is pretty skips about all over the place. It's it's superb. It's really, really good. If you can look that up online, the Dirt Chamber session, absolutely superb. Just be careful which search engine you put that into. Great stuff. We'll see you next time. I think in all likelihood it will be 
after the weekend game, won't it? Um, because yes, because I'm on a holiday. And because it's transfer deadline day on Thursday, which mm. is ideal after a, a trip to, to Bristol. There's a journalist uh, coming, having to come back from Bristol on the day of, uh, of transfer deadline day. But hey, there's a possibility that I'll be on strike on Wednesday, so who knows? <laughs> Might save me the trip. <laughs> um, but yes, we'll be back with you after the Blackpool game, which is on Sunday. Don't forget, it's been moved, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.